Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I am so glad that you are here. Can you thank our worship team, please? They did a great job. Thanks for leading us in worship. They always do. My name is Ezra, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for making time to be with us. If you are new to us, if this is maybe your first or second time here and we haven't met you yet, if you would, before you leave after the service, before you leave, on the right side of our, uh, our lobby out there is our welcome desk, and Anne and her team are out there, and they would love to talk to you. We would love to know if we can pray for you, if we can uh, connect with you in some way, if we can... Uh, if we can have your information, we will give you a free gift. It's a good deal. So if you're new, stop by the welcome desk on your way out. So this is week three of a series in Galatians entitled Free From, Free To. And it is all about the freedom that God wants to offer you if you're a believer in Christ, the freedom that he wants to offer you and ways that we can put that freedom to good use in meaningful ways in our lives. That's our series, and if you weren't with us, or if you were, I'll catch you up. Week one, a couple weeks ago, uh, Daryl talked to us about being free from this present evil age and free to live in the grace of Christ. And my favorite takeaway, my, the quote that I wrote down, one of them was, Christianity is a rescue relationship. That's such a powerful quote for me, and, and it, took me, it took me some time to chew on it, but I love that from him. And, and if you missed it, go back, and, uh, go back and tune in. Week number two is all about our approach, and it was free from uh, doing your best and free to living by faith. And in my notes, this isn't verbatim, but uh, in my notes I wrote down, God's standard for us is perfection because he is perfect. Though we are not he offered us to way, a way to measure up to that standard, and we just have to receive it, and I love that message. So the first week we talked about our reality, the second week we talked about our approach, this week we get to talk about our identity, our identity in Christ. And uh, today we're gonna be talking about being free from doing and free to being. Free from doing and free to being. So. Uh, this is in Galatians 3 and 4, and I'll catch you up to speed. In, in the middle of this book, Paul is basically yelling at the people in, in Galatia. He's yelling at them because he is salty. Man, what happened is, so he spent, uh, this is around 49 or 50 AD, and he spent a lot of time in what is now known as southern Turkey, in that area, in a bunch of little towns, and he planted a bunch of little churches. And those, those people, they believed, they heard the message of Christ, they believed, they were baptized, they were on fire, they were learning everything they could about the freedom they have now in Christ. And it was a good deal, and it was going well, and he thought, yep, we're in, we're in good shape, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna continue to, uh, to pastor over here in these areas and to lead these people in these areas and leave these because we're, we're doing well. What happened was, when he left town, some people came in behind him and they were false teachers. And they were teaching uh, what, uh, what Daryl coined a couple weeks ago as Jesus and theology. Jesus and something else. Jesus and whatever your list is. And that's what these false teachers were telling the Galatians, and they were buying it. And so Paul was really salty. He was coming after them in this book, and he was, he was giving it to them. And uh, they were believing, they were, they were believing and drifting back into a life of doing after what he taught them about who they were in Christ, about being 
sons and daughters of, of Christ, of, of God. And so, so the capstone kind of passage in that, in that uh, section for me that really illustrates a metaphor that I wanna key in on for us today is found in chapter four, verse seven. And that says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. No longer a slave, but God's child. Friends, that's identity language. That's who you are. If you see yourself as a slave or a servant, then what you do is what defines you. You have to do the job that you're, that you're hired to do. You, in order to stay in the household, you have to contribute to that household. You have to do your job. You have to do, do, do. That's the mentality of a servant, the mentality of doing. If you see yourself as a son or a daughter of God, well, the identity's already there. We all have a mom and a dad. We didn't choose our family. The identity was given to us similarly in this metaphor, Paul is saying, God is your father. You are his sons and daughters. That's your identity. And you can do nothing about it. And that's really good news because that's who you are in Christ. And so uh, he is talking to them about, uh, about identity and about doing and being. And really, they get it, right? They get it kind of like we do. We get the difference between doing and being, right? But the problem that they had and the problem that we often have is we get them in reverse order. We, we are convinced by a whole bevy of ways that we have to do, 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 do in order to be, in order to live up to what God's standard is. It's reverse. That is not the gospel of Christ. He calls us sons and daughters, and therefore, we love God, and we love people, and we spill out, and we do the things, maybe the same things, but we do them starting here. We don't do them starting with a doing mindset. And so, in, in Galatians here, uh, I think in these two chapters, uh, as Paul is really laying into the Galatians, there are, there are a couple of themes that emerge to me as I was studying, that, that he, Paul was pointing out that Galatians, these are the ways in which you're being drawn back into a doing mentality. And they really parallel the ways that we are tempted to drift back into a doing mentality. So for our time today, there are four parallels, four things that I wanna talk about uh, that, that parallel what Paul was talking to the, the Galatians about. And so the first way in which we drift back into a doing mindset is found in Galatians 3.2. Let's read that. So I would like to learn, oh, by the way, Paul is, Paul is spicy here, so I'm not gonna yell at you, but imagine I was yelling at you. Like, if he was texting, it would be all caps. It is just in your face. So if I, I would like to learn from you just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So the first way in which we, they, and also we can drift back to a doing mentality is our performance, works of the law. Our performance can, uh, can distract us from who we are. So for the Galatians, these works, this Jesus and theology, um, the Galatians, the works were were actually ceremonial laws from the Old Testament. 
And so if you, if you recall, back in the Old Testament, Moses and the Israelites were stuck in Egypt, and when God led them out of Egypt, uh, he renewed the, his covenant with his people, said, you're my people, I am your God, and now we've gotta do these certain things because people around you have to know that you belong to me. And I want you to declare over and over that I am your God. And so he made that covenant with them. And these laws, these ceremonial laws, think of like uh, sacrifices and offerings, those types of things, those were, those were legitimate in the Old Testament. And that's what the Galatians were believing that they had to go back to. See, Jesus, when Jesus came, he abolished all of that. That doesn't need to happen anymore because I died for you. I'm, Jesus, Jesus was their sacrifice. So that stuff was in the past. But these false teachers were telling the Galatians, no, it's Jesus and these things. For us, in our day, it's not that. That doesn't distract us. I think uh, what distracts us in terms of our performance can fall into primarily two big buckets, right? There's the bad things that we don't do, and there's the good things that we do. Right, so for example, the bad things we don't do, you could make your checklist in your mind, I've never, I've never killed anyone, I've never committed adultery, I've never gone to jail, I have never run over a cat, whatever it is for you, like I've, I've not done all these bad things. And the good things that we do, right, so I am kind, I am patient, I, I serve the poor, I am generous with my time, I volunteer, I, I tell the truth even when it's hard, those are good things. And the bad things we don't do and the good things we do have a tendency to lead us to drift back into a mindset of doing and forgetting who we are and that that goes first. So in Matthew 20, uh, Jesus shares a parable and he, he has a way in these parables of cutting right to the chase and dividing kind of what we believe in our culture versus how it is in the kingdom of God. And so he, he makes this distinction for us. So I'm gonna read a bit of this uh, parable for us. So for the kingdom of heaven is like, I'm gonna pause there, because many times in Jesus' parables, he starts with this, because he's reminding us, hey, it's not like this here. This is not how it works here, but this is what it's like, and this is what it ought to be like. So, so he starts, for the kingdom of heaven is like, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is just a daily wage, it's a standard daily wage, uh, for the day, and then sent them into the vineyard. So he made this agreement, they said yes, and, and they went to work. So think 6 a.m., this is like a 12-hour workday, and 6 a.m., they get and they go to work. So at nine o'clock, the, the landowner goes back out into the square and, and find some other people that don't have jobs yet. And he says, uh, do you wanna go work in my vineyard? I will pay you what is right. Whatever is right, okay, and they agree and they go to work. Again at noon, and again at three, the landowner does that. So several times throughout the day. Five o'clock rolls around, 12 hour workday, that's 11 hours in, five o'clock. The landowner goes back out in the square, finds some people, uh, they don't have jobs yet for the day, he says, just go work for me, I'll pay, I'll pay you what is right. And so they go and they work. So six, six o'clock rolls around. End of the work day, they all come to the landowner to get paid. And so the landowner decides to pay the ones he hired last first. So the ones that work just an hour. So they come and he gives them their wage. And they look and it is a denarius. It's a full day wage for 
one hour of work. And so everybody in the back of the line is either starting to get mad or going, I think we just got a raise. This is great. And so, so uh, I'll, I'll pick it up here in verse 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked for only one hour, they said, and yet you have made them equal to us, though we have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. How dare you, landowner? This is not how it works. And again, I'll remind you, contrasting the kingdom of heaven and how we do things. This is not how it works, and they were mad. So the landowner goes on and responds, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius back at 6 a.m.? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who I hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So at the time, there was actually a coin worth one-twelfth of a denarius. It was called a pondian. And so Jesus knew this, and Jesus knew that the people that he was talking to knew this. So the landowner could have paid everyone directly proportionate to the hours they worked. There was that capability. There was denominations under a denarius, and he could have done that. See, we look at our performance, and this is back to us again, and we scale it and we, we put it uh, into numbers and wages, and we think we have what is right and fair. But uh, if performance was the basis of man's acceptance to God, well, then our, the things that we do, our, our merits and demerits and the things that we do, they would matter a lot. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, there's, there's no such thing as a twelfth of the love of God. There is no such thing as one-twelfth of the grace of God. Jesus is contrasting what the kingdom of heaven is like and what we do and how we are misguided. And the kingdom of heaven, God's love and grace, is not based on our performance. And quite frankly, <laughs> frankly I am thankful for that. So the, uh, moving on, the second way um, that we drift back into a doing mentality uh, is, in, is found, uh, at least hinted at, in Galatians 3.23. So I'll read that for you. Before the coming of this faith, i.e. Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So we were held in custody according to our performance before Jesus. We were locked up according to what we had done. Those things mattered. What Paul is saying is those don't matter anymore. And so the second way we tend to drift back into a doing mentality is our past. It's our past, the things we have done, both good and bad. I think we either don't understand or more likely just forget how God's love and forgiveness works. Because if we remember that and keyed into that all the time, I think we, would, uh, we wouldn't have as much confusion. But we tend to drift into a doing mentality based on our past. So we're gonna go to another parable because they're so great. And this one is in Luke 15. And uh, this one strikes uh, the chord, the, the difference between God's perspective on our past 
and our perspective on our past. And Luke 15 is none other than the parable of the prodigal son. It is, it's one of the most famous parables, and uh, you've probably heard it, but I will, um, I will reenact it for you. So we've got a guy, and we've got two sons, an uh, older and a younger. And the younger son is impatient, he is uh, obnoxious, he is arrogant, and he's kind of a pain. And one day, he comes to his dad and says, Father, I would like my inheritance now. And effectively, what he is saying in that culture is, I wish you were dead because I would rather have the money that I am due than you. Well, in the story that Jesus is telling, the father obliges and says, yes, okay, you can have your inheritance. So not too long later, the younger son goes off. He goes to a different country, and whatever he sees, whatever he wants, he gets it. He buys it. He goes after it. Every pleasure of this world imaginable, the things that he has wanted, he goes for it, and he spends all of his money. He ends up broke. He ends up homeless, jobless, and hungry. And so he, he takes whatever job is offered, and that job is the worst, grossest job on a farm. And he's in the middle of doing his job, and he is starving, and he is broken, he has nothing, and he, he comes to his senses and thinks, what am I doing? The servants at my dad's house have more than enough to eat. They're doing just fine. What am I doing? So he decides, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna plead. And so as he is going back, he is rehearsing in his mind what he is going to say to his father. And it goes something like this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. And so he is on the journey. So I'm gonna pause us here and I'm going to suggest what might be a reasonable scenario in our world to us, okay? So this is not how Jesus tells it. So the son goes back and he approaches the door, he comes to the house and he probably kneels down, he can't look at his dad in the eye and he, said, and he knocks on the door and dad comes and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. And the dad, probably according to the best parenting books out there at the time, responds something like this. Well, I'm glad you're alive. You look awful, you smell awful. It looks like you spent all your money. Um, you wanna be a servant? Well, let's make a deal. As long as you work your tail off, you have to earn back our trust uh, because you made all of us in the house look terrible. Uh, we, we, um, we grieved your leaving and now you're back. Um, so you have to work hard, you have to prove it, you have to gain your entry back into my house. But because you're my son, I think we can make that deal. And so the, the thing with that scenario is it's kind of a win-win-win, right? So the son who has gone off and just been crazy gets a second chance. The, the older son who stayed uh, is kind of, it, he, he is not starting at the bottom. He is right where he at, he's at, his status is good. Uh, the, all the people in the house they see, okay, we're not gonna mess around. You, like, there are consequences for your choices. So it kind of keeps the house in order. The, uh, 
the, the younger son is probably thinking, oh my word, I will take it because even that offer is generous. That's a generous offer. And it is what he was expecting. But that's the point. That's kind of what we expect. That's kind of what we expect sometimes. We expect that our past, that our mistakes, that the things that we do, how we fall short, when we come to the throne, that God is somehow going to do this and, and shake his head, but yet give us a second chance, right? Well, the father in this scenario gave his son a second chance. But I'll remind you that that was made up, right? So this is actually how the story went. So as the son was trekking back and the father saw him in a distance, the father ran to him. The father ran to him and he said, bring his robes, bring jewelry to put on him, get him cleaned up. The father embraced him. The father kissed him, said, I thought you were dead and you were alive. We are having a feast. We are celebrating. This is a big deal. This is awesome. That's how the father responded. The father didn't put his repentant son on the blocks. I'll translate that for us. God does not put repentant sinners on probation to see how we will do. You see, for Jesus, the initiative always starts with God. He is the one running after us. And we tend to forget that. The prodigal son's identity never changed. His identity never changed. His behavior changed. His mentality changed, but his identity never changed. He was a son, and his father, his father proclaimed that when he returned. So um, for a third way that we drift back into a mentality of doing, let's go to Galatians 4, 1. Galatians 4. What I'm saying is as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So Paul has, has sunk into this metaphor of slave and child and heir and inheritance, and it, it struck something for me. While the heir was underage, he had access to the whole estate, the whole thing, just like a servant does. In fact, practically, while the heir was underage, they, they had the same status. They could use the same things. But the heir owned the whole estate while their function was at that point similar. So a third way that we drift back into a doing mentality is, is just that. It's a mentality. It is a way of thinking. It is a subtle way that can bear its ugly head because it's usually hidden. But it is how we value our possessions. Our possessions. So to consider this, I wanna ask you just a, just a simple question, and I'll come back to this. Who provides for you? Who provides for you? If you see yourself as a servant or primarily function that way, well, the answer is me. I provide for me. I have to look out for number one because I have to keep my job. I have to stay in the house. I have to do what I need to do to prove that I still can do this job. If the answer is me, 
I think that demonstrates a bit of a servant mentality. Now, of course, who provides for you? If the answer is God, well, then all of the estate is already yours. He has given you that already. And so it alleviates the need to provide for yourself. We all have this, this innate urge, this reflex, don't we, to just hold on to what is ours? I, I do. Uh, to, if you have something, we've worked hard for it. Um, I, I, I paid for it. I, I, I saved for it, whatever. You know, think about if you ever had something that you value, damaged or broken. You know, if, if you're car got a scratch, if there was a broken window, if, if a valued possession fell off the end table, like, like think about those moments and your heart's initial reaction, right? It can be embarrassing. It can be ugly. Well, I'll share an embarrassing story with you uh, just out of transparency. So um, I grew up in Iowa, grew up a Hawkeye fan. And so when we moved out, uh, moved out of, after college, we moved out, and we have not lived there since. And so I kind of got to the mentality of when I would see someone at a mall or something in Indianapolis or in California where we lived, um, if I would see someone with a, with a Hawkeye thing on, a Hawkeye hat or something, I'd notice, right? And I'd be like, oh, yeah. And if I got close enough, like, go Hawks, go Hawks. And it's kind of like, uh, like the bikers, they do this thing. It's like the secret wave. It's like that between Hawkeye fans. And so um, I, I have this, like, I, I notice these things, right? And so not too long ago, there's this, there's this kid that I knew, and he was wearing a Hawkeye shirt. And so he was coming up to me, and I didn't know this. I said, you're a Hawkeye fan? That's awesome. And so we start talking, and I find out why he's a Hawkeye fan and all this stuff. And and so, um, and I know that there is a, there's a celebration coming up not too long away, and I'm going to be there. And so I think to myself, it would be cool, you know, to connect with this kid again. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my favorite Hawkeye mug, and I'm going to have my water in it that day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to don it for him. In honor of him, we're going to connect. It'll be cool, right? And so day comes, and he comes, he comes up that day, and he gives me a hug. And here's what I intended to say. Man, it is good to see you. I am so happy for you today. Congratulations. Hey, in honor of you, I am drinking from my Hawkeye mug today. In honor of you, just for you. Go Hawks, right? That's what I intended to say. That is not what I said. So what happened is, I had set my mug down over there, and he came and gave me a hug, and I was like, man, it is so great to see you. Look what I got for you. And he looked at that mug. He could not believe that I was giving him my Hawkeye mug. And I couldn't either. <laughs> so I did what any normal person would do. I walked it back hard. I was like, yeah, man. So yeah, this is, yeah, you see the water in here. I've been drinking from it. It's mine. I'll drink from it tomorrow. Like, this is cool. It's good. Go Hawks. It didn't work. And, and so he, he went away. He came back 10 minutes later and he looked straight at me. He said, I'm going to drink from that mug every day. And I thought, we're a generous church, we're a generous church. <sighs> yes, you will, buddy, yes, you will, you can have it. And I gave him the mug. And I'll tell you what, I have had more joy deep down since I gave him that mug than I would have ever had had I kept it. I mean, that's, that's the kingdom of God, right? Holding on to things so tightly that we forget that God provides all we have. 
and that if we are if, if we are generous with those things, it unlocks a sense of joy that he longs to give us. Our possessions seem to be, at least they are for me, a way in which we can drift back into a servant, into a doing mentality and forget who we are and who provides for us. So finally, uh, the fourth way that we drift back into a doing mentality is our perspective of God, our perspective of God. So for this, we're gonna jump to Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So there's a similar passage in Romans 8, and it reads kind of like this. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So in both of those, you hear the phrase, Abba, Father. And we're gonna dig into that a little bit because I think that can inform our perspective of God. So uh, most of the, almost all of the New Testament is written in Greek. Well, Abba is written in Aramaic. It's a different language. And so Paul did that on purpose. Well, that means, Abba means father, right? So he's saying, Father, Father. Why would, he, why would he do that? Well, let's look at the second one first. So the second father, which is in Greek, it happens um, almost exclusively in the New Testament, exclusively. In other words, it is almost always by itself. So think, think uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So that is, that's this word for Father. And that the Lord's Prayer kind of indicates to us what this means. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So this is a God, this is a word for Father that indicates to the people that God is, God is heavenly. He is out there. He is big. He is powerful. Think like, uh, like Isaiah 6 language. I saw the Lord high and lifted up high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That type of, oh my word, this is God and he is big. That's this word for father. And so the people know that. The people know that, that he's talking to. And if I'm honest, I probably err, at least when I was growing, I probably erred more to that type of a perspective of God. And that's not wrong. That is not wrong. That is who God is. That is who, who he will be but it's also not complete. That's why Paul uses this, this phrase, Abba, Father. So Abba is Aramaic, and it is only used three times in the New Testament, Abba, Father. The two are up here for you. The third time is when Jesus is going into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night he's betrayed, the night before he is crucified, <clears throat> and he uses this term. He is in anguish, he knows what's coming. He knows what he has to do. And yet, it still is painful. It still hurts. And so in uh, Mark 14, it reads like this. Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Abba, in this context, Jesus uses Abba to declare, Abba Father, to declare, yes, this, this is the God of heaven. This is the big God that we all know. But this is God's son talking. 
This is Jesus. And so when he says, Abba, Father, he is also saying, this is an intimate God. This is like a perfect father would be close and intimate and with you. So Jesus said, Abba, Father. And so Paul uses this language on purpose in this verse to help inform the Galatians and our perspective of God because it is not just a God who is high and exalted. It's also God who is close like a perfect father. So, so I wanna leave you with a few things as your application and as maybe a continued conversation. I, I came up with five questions. And so they're up on the screen if you wanna take a screenshot. Your homework, should you choose to accept it, is to take these questions and spend some time with them. Spend some time with them, whether it's on the way home, whether it is at dinner, whether it is uh, at the table with your family, whether it's with, with your time with the Lord. I want you to think about and consider these questions and, and not, just, not just the right answers, but kind of the gut level answers because I've shared with you that I struggle with one of these. I am betting that if you take a, take a moment, God will show you something in which you might have a next step. We are a next steps church. We are a next steps church. And we believe that God is always coming toward you and he's always calling you toward him, doing your next step. And maybe you can find that in one of these questions. Can I pray for us as we conclude? Lord Jesus, I'm grateful for this time. Thanks for your word. Thanks for teaching us always something, maybe just one thing new through your word. And I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would look on us, your faithful servants, and you would uh, see that we are trying to take our next step to you. Lord, may that be so. And may that be so for all of us, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you leave, two things. One, if you need prayer, we will have a prayer team down here. If it's about something that we talked about, if it's about something going on in your life, uh, please come forward. We would love to pray with you. Second thing, we are a Next Steps church, and one of our next steps that I would love to see us get better at is connecting. And so if you're not in a hurry after this service, if you don't need to get somewhere right away, I would invite you to linger. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know or you haven't seen in a while and chat, spread the love of Christ to each other. Thanks for being here and we will see you next week.